The Productive Woman, Episode 63. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast dedicated to productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode. I'm going to be talking about imposter syndrome and how it affects our productivity as women and a little bit about what we can do about it. You'll find some links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 63. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com. You can get a free 10-day trial of lynda.com's outstanding video courses by going to lynda.com slash tpw. As a reminder, if you haven't already done so, I would appreciate your help in making The Productive Woman a better podcast. Please take three minutes or so to complete the listener survey at theproductivewoman.com slash survey. And finally, if you listened to episode 62 and made it all the way to the end, you'll know I've made a special offer to listeners, a a small way to say thank you for listening. I'll mention it again at the end of this episode, so be sure to stick around for that if you haven't heard about it yet. So let's get into the main topic. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, the, the tendency that some of us, and I'm raising my hand here, have to feel like uh, we're just about to get found out as phonies. You know, I, I this is kind of a disclosure kind of show, uh, an honesty kind of show, which is what I want the, the productive woman to be about at all times. And so I, I'm going to bare my soul a little bit. And I think based on some feedback I've gotten and some conversations I've had recently, I I get the sense that I'm not the only one who feels this way sometimes. Well, there's a a psychological phenomenon, I guess, called imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon. And it's very relevant to what I've been thinking about lately and what I wanted to talk about in this episode. So what is it? Imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon or fraud syndrome, is, according to Wikipedia, a term coined in the 1970s by psychologists and researchers to informally describe people who are, as they put it, unable to internalize their accomplishments. Well, that's kind of a a formal way of saying what the the psychologists have found. It's... it's, um, a collection of feelings of inadequacy that I thought this was really interesting. I found this on the website for the Caltech Counseling Center. Feelings of inadequacy that persist even in the face of information that indicates that the opposite is true. So people who, who feel this, who have this syndrome, this imposter phenomenon, um, feel chronic self-doubt, they feel like they are frauds and that they are just about to get caught. Uh, the American Psychological Association ha- had an article called Feel Like a Fraud, and I'm, I'm going to have links to all these articles in the show notes. And they talk about a study that was done in the late 1970s or that was published in the late, teen, late 1970s by a couple of female PhDs 
And um, according to that study, and as cited in this article, imposter phenomenon occurs among high achievers who are unable to internalize and accept their success. And so they tend to attribute their accomplishments to luck rather than to ability and kind of live in fear that people are going to unmask them, that they're going to be found out as frauds. And um, it's a, a real thing. It's a real form of self-doubt that a lot of people uh, suffer or, or live with. And the study that the American Psychological Association article refers to is one that uh, is, was published by, as I said, two female PhDs. And it found that, among other things, that women tend to attribute their successes to temporary causes, such as luck, an outside cause, or extreme effort, a temporary internal cause, whereas men tend to attribute their successes to an internal stable factor of their own ability. Uh, For, in other words, men own their success, tend to own their success as caused by a quality within themselves, while women are more likely either to project the cause of success outward to some sort of external cause, they just got lucky, or to a temporary internal quality, they worked really, really hard, that they don't, um, they don't consider it based on their success, based on their own merit or their own inherent ability. I just thought this study was really fascinating. The, the, they go into a lot of the specifics of how it works and how it manifests itself. There are basically, um, you know, some, some one article that I read talked about three different types of imposter syndrome sufferers or, or people. The first one is I'm a fake. Uh, the second one is I got lucky, you know, or for many of us women, I'm not talented or smart or, you know, whatever. I just work really, really hard. And that's why I'm successful. Or the third one is kind of a discounting of the accomplishment, the sense that, well, if I can do it, it must not be that big a deal, so just dismiss it. There's a great explanation of these different types in an article called What is Imposter Syndrome that was published on quickanddirtytips.com. And again, I'll put a link in the show notes. But it's it's interesting to me that um, it it's this overwhelming sense of, of inadequacy, regardless of how successful the person is, you know, to people looking from the outside. Um, and, and it's interesting to think about, well, where does this come from? I, I, I don't know if any of this is ringing any bells with you. If you're feeling any of this sense, I know that I feel this way often and I find myself struggling with feeling like, um, you know, I'm not competent even though I I can look and see that I've accomplished certain things that call for competence, but, but that this sense of being a fake of any day now, people are going to realize I'm not, you know, whatever, as smart as they think I am, or as successful as they think I am. 
I'm not the only one that feels this way. I've seen, I've had the conversations, I've read the articles. It's really interesting. So where does it come from? What, what causes this? Who is likely to experience this? That same American Psychological Association article says, and I'm quoting here, many people who feel like imposters grew up in families that placed a big emphasis on achievement. In particular, parents who sent mixed messages alternating between overpraise and criticism can increase the risk of future fraudulent feelings. And then societal pressures add to that, this pressure to be accomplished and, and to achieve great things can often lead to a, a sense of inadequacy, which is kind of, I think, kind of interesting. The studies show that it's um, more common in women and in more minorities. And uh, in general, the sense that being different in some significant way from most of the people around you, whether as to race or gender or whatever else, is likely to trigger this sense of inadequacy, this sense of, of being an imposter, of being a fake, of, of having achieved something by luck rather than by merit that uh, is, is experienced by people, uh, as I said, more often women than men, but men do feel it. But, you know, I'm not trying to stereotype here. This, these are just the studies that have been done that they're finding these um, inclinations. It seems to be more common among people who are starting a new endeavor, something new and unfamiliar to them. And, you know, the experts that write about this, they acknowledge that most people experience some level of self-doubt when they're facing new challenges. But somebody with um, imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon has this, uh, as this one writer said, an all-encompassing fear of being found out to not have what it takes. So for these people, even if they've got the external evidence of having what it takes, they can't accept it. They don't, aren't able to believe they deserve it or that they're worthy. They just, they find other ex explanations than that. This, um, Imposter syndrome often goes hand in hand with perfectionism, and this vicious cycle develops. And tell me if this sounds familiar to this, because as I was reading this and thinking about this, I thought, "Oh man, yeah, I'm I I can relate." the The cycle is this: you you start with this um, desire to you know this drive to be perfect, this drive for perfectionism. And then there's this fear that the, they're going to discover how stupid or how inadequate I am. And it drives the woman to work incredibly hard to prevent that discovery. Just work overtime to get it right um, so that nobody discovers that we don't belong. And the, that then the cycle continues as that hard work then pays off in excellent performance and the approval of the powers that be which then makes that cycle self-reinforcing because you've got, you've made the achievement, you've got the approval and the person who's dealing with this imposter syndrome is thinking, well, I, you know, I don't deserve it. They're all happy with me and I'm getting these accolades, but I don't deserve it. And I, I think about this, you know, clear back to when I went to law school and so many of these, there, there are a few more, um, things, triggers that cause this or lead to it. But 
I, you know, I want to tell, a, I guess, a personal story on the side here because I was relating to this so strongly as I was researching this, um, especially the perfectionism thing, the um, issue of, of people, uh, it being affecting people who are starting a new, something new and unfamiliar to them, and people who are different in some significant way from most of the people around them. Those three things in particular affected me when I went to law school. And I come from a family that's just a working class family. My dad was a log truck driver who never graduated from high school. My mom got her GED the year I graduated from high school. And, um, you know, nobody in our extended family had gone to college, I don't even think at that point, much less gone on to law school. And I did all that later in life when I already had you know, I was, had been married for a while and had five children and I had done well in college while, you know, finishing up college while raising my kids and applied to, to a bunch of law schools because honestly, in the back of my mind, even though I had good grades, really good grades and had done very well on the law school admissions test, the standardized test you have to take uh, to apply to law school, I thought, well, nobody's going to want me because I'm not you know, 24 years old. I, I'm in my thirties and have a bunch of kids and I don't have the background and I don't belong there. So much to my surprise, I was admitted to many of the schools that I applied to and ultimately accepted the offer from Cornell law school. And I went there thinking, man, I, you know, I don't belong here. I, I was thrilled to have been admitted, but I was this 35-year-old woman with five children and a husband and a blue-collar background and showed up on the campus of an Ivy League law school. And I will never forget the the first week in, in most, uh, for those of you who are, have not been through the, the thrilling experience that is law school, um, most of your first year classes, every, everybody takes the same classes everywhere. And at Cornell, most of the, the first year classes were taken in a large group of, you know, 90 to hundred people in the class, but the classes are divided up into sections and we were section A, B, C, D. And I think there were like 15 or 20 people in each section, or maybe 30, I don't remember now. But the first week of class, our small section met for the first time. And uh, as part of the Cornell's effort, and a lot of law schools do this, to you know make the experience better for everybody, one of your first-year classes you take with in a small group, just your section. So instead of 100 people, it's 25 or 30 people. And so we had our first section, and my small group, our, our class that we were going to take that was just us, was torts. And the professor had us go around the room and just briefly introduce ourselves, say where we came from. And it just happened that where I was sitting in the room, I was you know, going to be one of the last ones to introduce myself. And I'm not shy per se. I don't mind talking in front of a group, but I'm listening to these kids. And I say kids because most of them were younger than me. So, you know, get this whole category of... of being different in some way from the people around you. 
And, you know, there was one who had been working on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. There was one who had traveled with the Peace Corps and served. There were graduates of MIT who had, you know, done graduate work. There were, uh, I mean, I can't, I just remember him going around the room and each of these, my classmates, introducing themselves and, and telling very briefly what what school they'd come from, what their background had been, and what sorts of things they'd been accomplishing before they got there. And the longer this went on, the more I felt like I was sinking down into my chair. And all I could think is, I don't belong here. Because when he got to me, all I had to say was, hi, I'm Laura McClellan. I graduated from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I'm married and I have five kids. That was my accomplishment. And when I, in my head, comparing that to some of the things that my classmates had done, I felt so insignificant. And, you know, now I look back and I think, wow, you know, it was maybe kind of silly for me to feel that way, but that's how I felt. So I was in this place. I was older than most, not all, but most of my classmates. I had a very different background. Uh, I was a woman. And I uh, was very different from most of the students that I was there with. And so I spent so much time in that first year in particular, always feeling like I don't belong here. And any day now, somebody's going to come here, come up to me and say, you know, we made a mistake and you don't belong here and we're going to need you to leave. Of course, that never happened, and I did fine there. I made some friends there. I I did well in my class. I had some wonderful opportunities and went on, graduated, and uh, accepted an offer at a really great law firm here in Dallas, and spent my first year all the time thinking, any day now, they're gonna somebody's gonna realize, and they're gonna show up in my office and say, yeah, we that was a mistake. You don't belong here, and we're gonna need you to leave. So that, I guess, is the definition of imposter syndrome, this feeling that you don't belong, that any day now somebody's going to realize it and you're going to be found out and booted out the door. And I hope you don't experience that, but I know a lot of people do, and that's why we're talking about it. So those are some of the categories, the experience that I've had. Um, Again, it often goes hand in hand with perfectionism. It develops this um, vicious cycle where, you know, in my case, terrified they were. And it wasn't like I thought about it all the time. It was just this sort of thing in the back of my head of any day now, any day now. And it drove me to study very, very hard and uh, try to, you know, not lose my spot. And uh, which paid off because I did... you know, I did well there. Um, it's very, very hard to overcome. And all the studies, and this has been studied by psychologists, psychiatrists, that it's hard to overcome because even when we have evidence shown to us of our accomplishments and of our value and our worth, we discount it. When somebody compliments something we've done, we tend to discount it. Well, she's my friend. Of course, she's going to say that. She's just being nice. Or, well, it's nice that so-and-so, you know, a, a pre, a complimented my this achievement, but he doesn't know anything about my field, so he doesn't. for him to say I'm great at what I do doesn't mean much. It's, so it's very, we have these psychological mechanisms that 
that cause us to um, disregard the evidence that we are not frauds. And if you're the intellectual type who likes to understand the why of things, you might enjoy reading this 1978 study that I've quoted. It has a really, really good section describing the kind of family dynamics that can contribute to the development of imposter phenomenon. We'll have a link in the show notes, and um, you might want to give that a read. It was I found it fascinating. So why am I talking about imposter syndrome uh, and and you know, on a productivity podcast? How does it affect our productivity? Well, it, it's pretty pretty straightforward. It creates, among other things, that cycle of perfectionism and procrastination that can keep us from starting or finishing projects. We've talked about perfectionism in the past and how it impairs our productivity. And you can go back and listen to that episode um, because perfectionism and imposter syndrome are often, not always, but often tied together, you get that all these, um, you know, perfect storm of interference with our ability to accomplish the things that we want to, because perfectionism can cause us to procrastinate. If we feel like we're a fraud, if we feel like we must do it perfectly and we can't do it until we can do it perfectly, then we're going to stall and find reasons not to begin, or we're not going to finish, you know, find reasons not to finish because we don't want to submit the, the finished product to, to the world or to our boss or whoever it is that may end up, you know, not liking us, or this will be the time they're going to finally find out. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a fraud or whatever. Those things interfere with us uh, being productive in the traditional sense of getting stuff done because it tends to lead us to procrastinate. But it also, imposter syndrome also affects our productivity in the sense that we often talk about it on this show, that ability to order your life in such a way as to maximize um, your our positive impact on the world around us. We uh, can't enjoy our accomplishments. We can't enjoy our life if we're constantly living in fear of being discovered as a fraud. If we can't accept that our accomplishments are, uh, are, are earned, that the um, accolades that we get are earned, we can't enjoy any of it. And it takes, it kind of sucks the fun out of life, doesn't it? And so those are just, you know, as I thought about it, how, how does, has this affected my productivity? How has it affected the productivity of other women that I've talked to who deal with this? How often do we have those conversations? Um, only when we're really vulnerable, because part of the whole thing of imposter syndrome is you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to admit it because the biggest component of it is this fear of being found out. And, and so we feel like we've got to have this facade up of, yep, I got it figured out. I'm good. Yay me. And when inside, we're just waiting for the hammer to fall. Well, this show is, is about being real. It's about being authentic and it's not about me, but if I've got to, you know, I, 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 I can't, expect you to be real and authentic in your life or in the conversations that we have if I'm not willing to do that myself. And, you know, so that's why I'm, I guess, telling my story a little bit. 
So how can we overcome imposter syndrome? There are a couple of things. I, I thought it was really interesting that according to the studies, it's not enough to be successful. Succeeding does not show us that we were wrong about feeling like a fraud. Um, and the writers in the 1978 study said this. I thought this was real interesting, and I'm quoting here. We have been amazed at the self-perpetuating nature of the imposter phenomenon with the pervasiveness and the longevity Longevity, longevity, excuse me, of the imposter feelings of our high achieving women with their continual discounting of their own abilities and persistent fear of failure. We have not found repeated successes alone sufficient to break the cycle. And that's the thing that I find so interesting. And I'm reading this and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it intellectually, but I'm trying to internalize it as well. Because the people that suffer from this imposter syndrome the most they have found in these studies are really high achieving women. Uh, women who have reached the pinnacles of their careers have accomplished great things and they still feel like frauds. They don't take credit for what they've accomplished. They dismiss it. They explain it away. They um, give credit to luck. I was in the right place at the right time. Or as I've said before, I, and, and I found myself saying this before I had ever really studied this and thought about it. These are the words that I've said about myself as a lawyer. I, you know, I'm smart. I do well. But it's, uh, why have I succeeded? Uh, it's not because I'm as smarter than anybody else or even as smart as some people. I just work really, really hard. Well, that's what the studies say. That's pretty typical of women who are dealing with this imposter syndrome. They cannot see anything innate in themselves that uh, created their success. They look for an explanation elsewhere. And so uh, simply being successful is not enough to get us to, to realize uh, we're not imposters, we're not frauds, and we're not going to fail. So the American Psychological Association article offered several suggestions for helping deal with uh, imposter syndrome, knowing that simply succeeding is not going to do it on itself, on its own. And some of the suggestions they recommended, and again, I, I refer you to the article, link in the show notes, you can read more for kind of explanations, but they talked about talking to your mentors. If it's an issue for you at work, if you have a mentor you can talk to about how they've succeeded, what they've done, um, and what they think your, their, what their opinion of your work is. Uh, second recommendation from this article is recognize your expertise. And third, remember what you do well. Those two, to me, are kind of tied to look at yourself and be able to honestly and fairly recognize what you're good at, what your uh, good internal qualities are, that it's not all just luck. It's not all just nose to the grind, grindstone, working harder than anybody else, that if you have achieved something, you have, there is something in you that has earned that qualities in you, talent and ability that you have 
And, uh, and you need to recognize that and give yourself credit for those things. The APA article also suggests reminding yourself that nobody's perfect. And, and so this kind of led to me to some other thoughts, both in my, as I thought about it and in some of my reading, talk to other people. And I, I guess that's part of why I wanted to talk about this on the show to put this out there, the truth that many of us feel this way. And if you have close female friends who, uh, you know, have accomplished things and, and who you can talk to kind of on that soul to soul level, maybe you've had these conversations and maybe, you know, that can help you to realize most of us feel that way. I mean, I personally have been stunned to talk with women whom I consider to be highly accomplished, people who I admire and respect. And, and when I've had a conversation with them to find out that they feel like an imposter the same as I do, that just shocks me. And it makes me take a step back and say, okay, I'm looking at this woman's life and I've seen what she's done and she's not an imposter. But if she's still feeling that way, I wonder if there's you know, and it's clearly not true in her case. Maybe it's not true in mine either. You know what I'm saying? That, that to, to acknowledge that lots of people feel this way, people struggle with these things. And, um, it's just not, you know, we need to be able to look at the, the, be a little scientific and look at the empirical evidence and realize, no, no, wait a minute. If you've got a book published, Um, you deserved to have that book published, your talent and hard work and, you know, meeting the right people, all those things contribute to it, but you, you deserve that. And that you, you that's not a fraudulent thing that you've done to the rest of the world. If you've been promoted at your job, if you've gained clients for the business that you run, if you're, you know, if you've, whatever things you're doing, you your talent, your ability contributed to that. And, and you need to look at that and give yourself credit for that. Uh, a lot of the uh, articles, that, several of the articles that I read recommend that often if it's a real hindrance to you, if it's something that causes you a lot of angst or you're losing sleep or you're not able to do things that you need to do, consider therapy. A trained counselor can help you see what you're doing. Um, that can help say back to you the false things that come out of your mouth about yourself. And that can really be helpful. Some therapists recommend, at least in part, using a group setting for therapy for this particular issue, because it allows one woman to see the dynamics in another woman and realize how perception often breaks with the reality here. And, and then maybe be able to apply that to yourself. Uh, another thing that you can do is to keep a journal of the positive feedback you receive and how you respond to it. Do you accept compliments for your work and your accomplishments or do you dismiss it or do you deflect it? Do you try to give credit elsewhere? How are you, learn to pay attention to these feelings that you're having, the responses you're having when other people notice 
what you've accomplished and give you credit for it. Do you accept that? And I'm not talking about being arrogant and bragging about yourself and, you know, kind of being narcissistic about it there. That's kind of the other end of the spectrum here. And that's not what we're talking about, but it's being realistic and uh, recognizing that your successes are your successes and they are not a fraud that you're perpetrating on the world around you. So, you know, I say you, I'm talking to myself here. So I, I hope that uh, some of this is making some sense. I, it's something that has been on my mind just from several conversations that I've had in the last few weeks. But what do you think? I mean, do you, is this something that you've experienced? Do you, um, how does it manifest itself in your life or, and how do you deal with it? Have you been successful in kind of squashing the imposter monster and being able to enjoy and uh, celebrate your own successes. I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I'm by no means the expert. So please feel free to um, uh, share your thoughts, your successes, your questions, your ideas. A couple of ways you can do that. Public, if you want to share your thoughts publicly, you can go to the comments section of the show notes at theproductivewoman.com or you can post on the Productive Woman's Facebook page and uh, we can have a conversation there. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this with me privately, you can email your questions, your comments, your suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com or you can leave a voice message by going to theproductivewoman.com, clicking on the button there or the button on the Facebook page. If you uh, enjoy the show, as always, I would very much appreciate hearing your feedback, and a couple of ways you can do that. Ideally, I would love it if you could go to iTunes and or Stitcher and leave a review there, just a few sentences, a couple of sentences about what you think of the show. There are links to do that in the show notes, um, or you can go to theproductivewoman.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher. This does two things. It certainly gives feedback that helps me make the show better, but by um, reviewing in, for instance, in iTunes, the, the way iTunes works, they make the show more visible to other people so that more can find it. However you get your feedback to me, though, I really appreciate it. I want to thank a couple of people that have recently sent some feedback. Heather sent me an email, and uh, I'm not going to share the whole thing, but a little bit of what she said was, um, I just wanted to say how thankful I am to have found the productive woman. She says, I started listening a couple weeks ago around episode 60. I've since gone back to start from the beginning. And then she goes on later and says, I've been finding your episodes extremely relatable and comforting. And I really appreciated that. So thank you, Heather. Heather also shared a tool that she likes for goal and task setting. Uh, and that's a tool called Wonderlist, W-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T, at wonderlist.com. Really, and this is a great to-do list or task management uh, app. As she points out, it syncs. It's a website, but it also syncs with your smartphone and it's on your computer. It's great. And it has a great feature that lets you share lists and projects with family members. And it's very, very simple and easy to use. So great reminder. I've used Wonderlist in the past and really liked it. So thanks for sharing that tip and for your kind words, Heather. I also wanted to sh uh, thank Suzanne 
for a, a, just a lovely comment uh, she posted on the Productive Woman's Facebook page recently. She said, she says, I discovered your podcast two weeks ago. I'm enjoying listening and using the tips and tools that are suggested. Thank you for giving me ways to make my life simpler and more fulfilling. And she goes on to say more. You can read that on the Facebook page under the, the visitor posts. So thank you so much, Suzanne, for those words. I really appreciate that. Couple other thoughts. Um, I think I've mentioned in the past I am available to speak at your events. I love getting together with groups of women to to talk about productivity related things and how we can make lives that matter. So if you've got a women's group uh, that meets or a retreat coming up or business teams or whatever, I would love to talk with you about how uh, I could contribute to that. So feel free to send me an email at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. Or you can call me at 972-656-0308 and we can take it from there. If you haven't picked up your free copy of my project planning template, that's still available at theproductivewoman.com slash project. And that's completely free for to download. And remember to respond to the listener survey, if you haven't done so already, at theproductivewoman.com slash survey. Thank you so much to those of you who have already responded. I'm getting some great ideas and planning some pretty cool things for the coming months. Uh, And I do want to say a special thank you to Emily. I hope I'm saying this right, Emily. I should have asked you, Emily, we've only met online. Emily Prokop, who is the co-host of the Classy Little Podcast, and she has been helping me with preparing the show notes and making them really much better and more useful to you. So thank you so much, Emily. And y'all check out her her podcast at classylittlepodcast.com. Before we wrap up, I do want to say a quick thank you to our sponsor for this episode, lynda.com, and that's L-Y-N-D-A.com. Lynda.com is the place to go for high-quality video tutorials. They have over 3,000 courses taught by industry experts. They add more all the time, and they're always on top of new changes in technology and getting courses in there uh, very quickly. These courses cover all skill levels from beginner to advanced and almost any topic you can think of, uh, business-related, arts-related, technology-related. They have tutorials on public speaking, on time management, on leadership, on photography, and they make their, their plans are such that you have access to the whole library of courses for one low monthly price. And the Productive Woman listeners can get a free 10-day trial by going to lynda.com slash tpw. Again, that's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash tpw. And during that 10-day free trial, you get unlimited access to the library. And so you can just binge and and watch as many of these really high-quality video tutorials as you want to. So give it a try by going to lynda.com slash tpw. And let me know what you think after you've checked them out. Thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting The Productive Woman. And one last thing before we go, and this is a follow-up from last week, and I mentioned it a little bit at the beginning of this show. Uh, As I said last week, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be able to share this journey with you, to be part of your life in this little way and have you be part of mine. Knowing that you're there listening, the feedback that I get from you, it's 
such a privilege, such a joy. I don't even have words. So what I'd like to do is give something back to you as listeners. I've had some listeners who've mentioned, uh, who've asked me about whether I do any coaching. And um, at some point, I do want to offer a coaching program, but I'm not prepared to do that now. What I do want to do, though, is I I would like to offer a 30-minute productivity consultation at no charge through the end of this year, 2015. We'll do it via Skype, maybe Google Hangouts if that works better, depending on what you want to talk about. And I'm not sure how much of an interest there is, you know, and I do have a day job and I do the show and so I don't have unlimited time. So what I'll do is I'm just going to take them on a first come first served basis Uh, as long as I have capacity to fit them into the schedule, only one per listener. So if you're interested, email me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com and put consultation in the subject line. And then in the message, give me an idea of what you'd like to talk about, whether it's, you know, time management or looking at how to maximize your to-do list or uh, organizing your office or I, I, you know, the sky's the limit if it's something I know something about and, um, and, but just mention in your email, what it is you think you'd like to talk about. I'll take them on in the order received and schedule them over the next few weeks. But this is just my, uh, what, uh, something that I thought of that, that I could offer to you if it's something of interest as a way to say, thank you for listening. It means the world to me. And that, my friends, is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope there was something in it that you found helpful. And I I can't wait to hear from you. And I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself. And go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.